What up, what up, what up? Welcome to Comfort Food Comics, the podcast. As always, this is your host, Dave Shevlin. With me, as always, my man, Danny Mofizi. If you've never listened to our show, uh, the premise is I'm a man who's read way too many comics. I have way too many opinions about them. I want to talk about them. I want to spotlight them. And I brought in my man, Dan, who has really no big experience with comics whatsoever. And he brings that fresh outlook. I bring that old jaded outlook. And together, we we really dig into some pieces. Uh, at the end, we rank them. Each of us gives a score out of 50. And then the cumulative score out of 100 gets ranked at the big board. Always sticky at comfortfoodcomics.com. The source, How are baby. We today? How are we today? Living large, Dave. It's mm-hmm. been a fun week over here. Mm-hmm. been painting. So I've been doing a lot of music listening, thinking. <laughs> Jamming, living, you know, living just living. Thinking a lot about teachers after our last week's episode, um, where we dove into um, Black Lightning, Jefferson Pierce, Jefferson, oh, Jeffy Pierce, the teacher, Jeffy Pierce, Jeffy Pierce. Thinking about teachers in my life, you know, I was painting that bathroom this weekend. It's like, man, had some some shitty teachers in my day. Had some good teachers in my day. (laughs) Really getting into it. Getting into it. (laughs) That's good. That's good. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how you doing? How you doing over there? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You know how it is. Uh, we are. We've been reading some comics. Uh, our month long theme, obviously, it's February. It's Black History Month. Um, the two of us have. I've been trying to find stories that feature a black creator as well as a black character. Um, let me tell you, Danny, finding selections for this week was depressing me. I probably spent like an hour flip-flopping back and forth on like what I wanted to highlight because there were certain people I wanted to highlight. So I'm looking up people, I'm looking up characters, and I'm trying to find the right picks for like this episode. And there are not a lot of black creators, and there are definitely not a lot of black creators that worked on black characters. Uh, which in turn shows you that there's not too many black characters. Uh, really kind of pretty glo- gloomy outlook and pretty depressing then. Uh, it really put it into perspective, like trying to find like the good shit to not the good shit, but like something that featured a black creator I wanted to talk about as well as a black character. So it was pretty, it was bumming me out for real how, how little of an impact or opportunity yeah, fuck this given. industry this bullshit you know <laughs> it it you know comics love them while simon simultaneously always hating it <laughs> it seems like it like the more i you expose me to this it's just shitty people yeah like, yeah more or less you're not wrong shitty white you're dude. Not wrong that what is what you got me reading what do you got me getting into is this you know <laughs> i'm in, indoctrinating you into a world of hurt <laughs> it's just terrible. It seems like I, every time you open that damn Bluebird app, there's just somebody that's like, dude, what the fuck are you saying? Somebody like, doing something terrible today. Yeah. Somebody saying or revealing that they're just a horrible person. It's right. not great. Not great. But it's the old days where people, I didn't have to hear every thought that popped <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance yeah. is bliss for real. You know, you, you didn't have to know the personal lives of these terrible creators but it helps to not support them and make you feel a little bit better when it's like oh man well they're pretty shitty yeah does nothing for the million the pocketbooks though you know they're they're doing fine that's true that's true 
<laughs> so yes, it, it was a real bummer trying to find certain stuff this week, but I settled on some stuff. So uh, the selections this week, um, there's really only one that hits the comfort food comics, like personal, like real personal connection for me. Okay. Um, and, you know, I know that's not in every episode, but that happens in a lot of episodes where I'm picking you something where it's like, yeah, this this it. Person really shit for me, right? <laughs> Warms your cockles over there. That's you know? right. That's right. Warms my cockles real well. So uh, this week, I really tried to highlight, and and I do want to talk more about you know some of these we're going to breeze through, um, and I just sort of want to highlight the creator as we go or the character and talk about how we feel about them because uh, we have a single issue for each. So tonight we will be looking at from DC. The Teen Titan Spotlight, number 13 on Cyborg, where we're going to be uh, featuring Cyborg as well as Chuck Patton, the artist on that one. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke Cage, Power Man, number 21, uh, which obviously it's Luke Cage we're highlighting there, as well as the artist Ron Wilson is who we're checking out here. Uh, Jungle Action, number 18, starring the Black Panther, uh, where T'Challa, as well as Billy Graham, the illustrator there, um, and Black Goliath, number five, where we will be highlighting Bill Foster and the artist Keith Pollard. So a lot of weird picks this week. I can't imagine (laughs) you had too much fun, to be honest, because these are not uh the huge bangers here uh that's for sure they're more yeah. of just like hey we're just reading some comics you know yeah and they're definitely ones that are steeped in continuity for the most yeah. part yeah. uh you know they're, they're not really designed to be a single issue read so I, but uh, that's the problem some of them work better than others some of them work better than others but no and and they are single issue reads but they're very much you know um all three of these Marvel picks are from the Bronze Age, you know, the 70s of uh, Marvel. So it's like, you know, they just expect you to be reading this shit or look at the editor's note, I guess. You're which, buying every book. Right, right. Which is good, you know, it's good. Um, but I figured you might have some trouble. So instead of really like digging into so much of the plot, because a lot of these are really just sort of like silly stuff, we can talk about the characters and we can talk about, you know, what's going on around them as well as me talking a little bit more about the artists that I want to feature here. So I think we could kick it right off. We'll start on the DC side uh, with probably my favorite of this entire bunch. Um, The Teen Titans Spotlight number 13 on Cyborg. Um, This is an issue that's written by J. Michael Straczynski. Um, This is his first ever uh, comics work. Um, mm. J. Michael Straczynski is the creator of, I believe it's Babylon five. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. He, Dude, he created shit. Babylon five. <laughs> I watched a ton of that growing up because mm. my dad, you know, he was, was the, into it. He's a, a truck man. For the next the, track. Yeah. Right. He was all those shows we watched in Babylon five. He was a big fan of. So I remember years watching <laughs> Babylon five playing with connects and shit and he had that stuff on there oh that's funny i was wondering if if you would uh have Damn. any connection to that oh yeah that shit was heady that was actually pretty good babylon 5 i know, you know a lot of people they love it i i can't say i i've ever really like seen it or if i have probably on sci-fi i don't remember it 
Um, I always get that in Battlestar Galactica confused, even though I like I know it's not Battlestar Galactica. You know what I mean? No, that's totally understandable because the reboot of Battlestar Galactica that came out in the you know mid aughts, right? The frack one, yeah, the, the frack one that takes a lot of influence from Babylon Five. In I, I would argue that there's a lot of connective tissue there, style wise and like tone wise. Well, that makes sense. Um, where it was kind of like a bridge because like, you know, the new frack one was a lot more action based, you know, gotcha. Battlestar Galactica. Um, but you know, the, the old one was old campy TV. And so oh, Babylon, I could see that. I could see how you can get them blended together. Don't, don't knock yourself for that. I don't and I mean, it's the B too, <laughs> you know, the B start of both their name, but yeah, Jay Muggle Straczynski, uh, he went on to, well, he actually started by writing, uh, 80s uh cartoons um he did a bunch of he-man masters of the universe um he did a lot of other random ones throughout the 80s into like the early 90s um he wrote for twilight zone um he obviously created babylon 5 he later went on and was a pretty big name in comics in the 2000s um and he is most remembered for his run on the amazing spider-man which did we read something by him I don't believe we have featured his books yet. Um, he and John Romita Jr. had a really solid run, and he created Morlin, which a lot of people would know now from the Spider-Man. Oh, the vampire man? Yeah, yeah, he created that too. So uh, he wrote a whole bunch of other comics too, but uh, he did a really solid Thor run as well. Um, but he's written some really just fucking terrible comics that as far as i'm concerned pretty much ruined any legacy he had in comics um kind of showed like where his actual creative tendency lies and now i sort of believe the good ones are the flukes <laughs> so you know i have real divided opinions on old jms here um but this is I level first... what's what's terrible about it you gotta you can't tease me with like what's oh my awesome. God. he just does like so terrible comics he was given superman to relaunch and he did a story called grounded where superman decided to take some time off and walk around the country uh just you know one foot after another walk across the country and look around jesus Uh, is 40 days in the desert man you gotta have your (laughs) you gotta have your solitude so when you come back as the savior Uh, what's up oh it was terrible man It it was so truly awful um but he's got a whole bunch of other really just awful comics as well. Like not in a way where I can sit here and be like, it's so offensively bad. It's more just like, this is fucking stupid, you know, like just comics. You don't want to fucking read. All right. Um, but this is his first work ever, uh, which was pretty interesting to me. This is one I've read before, but I, I didn't know it was him. I went back to it cause I sort of remembered this one. Um, but who were, uh, highlighting here is the penciler chuck Patton. um the inker on this is romeo tangal he did pretty much all of new teen titans john costanza legendary letter um and chuck Patton here is who we're talking about um he was a black artist who was the co-creator um of justice league detroit a much reviled era of the justice league where it was a really weird like team that you know the big guns left and it was all these other characters that you know i'm sure a lot of people like scream forced diversity at um 
Chuck Patton is the co-creator of Vixen, another black character, uh, as well as Vibe, another pretty jokey character that were members of Justice League Detroit. Um, I've always really liked his artwork. I don't think there's anything in it that is like super amazing pushing the form, but I've always just really enjoyed it for like his yeah, clean salads and everything. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've always really liked him. And I, and he said in interviews that he, he really got, you know, some fan pushback and abuse from fans for justice league Detroit, which is very hated at a time. But I mean, I'm a fan of the dopey weird era. Um, but he sort of became really disenfranchised with comics and, after putting in some work, he could never really get an ongoing gig again. So he said, well, I'm, I'm done with this whole industry then. Uh, so he backed out and he actually went into animation and he ended up doing so much stuff in animation that he became like the head director of a lot of projects. And he is actually the uh, lead animation director on Spawn, HBO Spawn. Ooh, <laughs> wow. Okay. So, right. you know, there's there's a lot to Chuck Patton and he's he never really gets talked about. And that's really the theme here is I'm trying to really spotlight these black artists that, you know, maybe people have never even seen a picture of him. Maybe they don't even know that he is a black creator. Um, but, yeah, Chuck Patton is he's a really cool guy from the interviews I've read. I, I really like him. Um, I like that he pretty much said, you know, comics are fucking me over, so I'm going to leave. <laughs> um, and he pretty much did just random shit until he did, you know, a lot of TV stuff. You know, he worked on G.I. Joe. He was on Captain N, the Game Master. Uh, he was on Super Mario Brothers 3. Um, I believe he did some Inspector Gadget, too. Um, he was on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I forget which uh, era but he was on that too um but he he really had some big hits and some big deal shit in his career um and yeah, i believe he even won an emmy for spawn <laughs> wow. for like outstanding animated program if i remember what i read correctly um but yeah he he's pretty interesting in that he left and he had that sort of deal um but like you said, like I a really bigger just, career outside of comics. Right, pretty much. Uh, but I've I've always really enjoyed his like clean workmanlike style that like it's not so boring that you'd forget it, but it's not like so terribly exciting you'd you'd go crazy for it. I just think it's really nice. And I think that this story is probably my favorite of the picks that we did here. How do you feel about this issue? No, def- we're definitely starting on a high note here with picking this one to start from. Right. Um, we, all yeah. about Cyborg. Tell me how you feel about Cyborg as a character as well. Spotlight. Well, this is my first real um, reading ever of Cyborg beyond the comic relief the and booyah, the, Titan, Teen yeah, Titans. <laughs> the Teen Titans things. So reading him here um, was interesting to say the least. Uh, and then to have him paired against Two-Face. Um, interesting, right? Interesting, interesting pairing. Uh, it, does Cyborg typically play in like Batman's world? Or no, is he that is the thing I wanted to talk about here is that, you know, in the old new Teen Titans run where like these characters came together, it's pretty much only people that have like tangential ties to the team or shit that isn't being used in other books that they'll put into their book for them to deal with. Okay. Um, so 
it's never, you know, like it's the Batman foe that they're dealing with here. Um, and they never really do anything like that until the Teen Titans spotlight issues, which was, you know, Teen Titans are so popular that they got their own spinoff series where it was like solo stories of the characters or people in their orbit. Um, and I did want to mention that a reason why I like this one so much is it's it's showing more of the DC universe and throwing that into these Titans characters because you really do read Titans and it's like it's almost like X-Men where like this shit could almost be in its own corner and like you don't really need the rest of the Marvel universe to fuck with it or make it better or anything like that. There's certain characters that definitely need the wider universe to work. The Teen Titans have never like, I mean, obviously they do. That's like their whole deal. But once you actually read the book, they're so insular that like, that's why I really love this series. And I really love this issue in the, you know, juxtaposition of Two-Face uh, and Cyborg, which is a cool thing to think of. Not something I ever would have come to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's neat. Um, I think I had problems with kind of the execution and like really, you know, I'm oh, it's reading dramatic as shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a bit heavy handed. Super dramatized. Yeah. And it's tough because like, OK, it's, I'm reading this. It's Teen Titan, Titans Spotlight Cyborg. So it's like, OK, like this is his solo story. And so much of it, we're following Two-Face. Yeah. And it's, it's almost Two-Face's story with Cyborg in it at times, you know? Yeah. Um. So, like, I think my gripes with this really aren't necessarily with, like, the concept or the idea or, you know, the themes they're playing with. I think the two characters, you know, that whole Jekyll and Hyde monster versus hero concept, it, 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 they're interesting themes to play with because that's the whole crux of this issue, right? Is that right. this that whole issue is cyborg, you know, you know cyborg, man. Yeah. He's half a man, half robot, two face watching TV. <laughs> like <laughs> this guy. And right. he's like, I'm going to make these people see this bastard for who he is. He's a monster. And so his whole premise is just trying to prove that he's a monster. Is it to prove he's a monster because the two voices inside Two Face, the the evil Two Face one, is saying like, you know, people only like him because he's they call him a hero. You know, we could have been a hero. Why don't people like us? And it's it's unhinged and it's mm-hmm. not correct. <laughs> you know, well, you can understand. I think that it's actually kind of a a. Much more totally like postmodern like approach to storytelling in comics of that idea True. of like True. playing with like perception is reality and like there's some I- interesting ideas there and I think that's really cool and they're they're really shooting for the fences with like concept wise this book but we get bogged down in the you know tedious comics stuff of the the time and the era that like you know in today's day and age it's like a modern twist on this it would have been a much skinnier much more you know highbrow thought provoking we're all you know in in each other's monologues and minds and we're thinking about this versus like narrating action and shit you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's the whole like issue becomes two-face captures uh, a woman that gives him an award that gives cyborg an award that's like you're the best in gotham and oh and she wants to get on that robot dog she does she does she Woo-hoo. takes him to my place the italian restaurant in one of the very funny jokes they do here which is really stupid i loved it i loved, <laughs> I loved it. it too so i was like damn they're like dc sorry we're gonna get laid right here and then it's like ah nope my place is the name of a restaurant chicken you having a real good layup <laughs> um but the whole story is uh two-faced 
captures this woman and he leaves cyborg a note that is like listen to everything i'm gonna make you do and you know you can get her back uh and puts him through this like whole gauntlet of basically just putting on like a shitty overcoat and then breaking into places. Yeah. Basically. Like dress like two face and have people confuse you for me. Like <laughs> right. more or less. Right. Like get yourself into positions where anyone would be frightened to see you. Yeah. Not that no, you're a metal man. Right. Like the one is him like breaking into a woman's home and like, Oh, the one with her alarm clock and checking the note. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The note is placed on the underside of the alarm clock in her bedroom. Right, right. That got me laughing because it was like, so Two-Face broke into this apartment earlier. Absolutely. Put this note. (laughs) Where were you then? (laughs) Well, and that's the thing that's funny to me is that I do think that the theme of, you know, it's how you were saying it's something that, you know, wasn't done as much. This is really almost a precursor to all the stories you see of, you know, nightfall with Bane, uh, putting Batman through the psychological and emotional ringer till he's completely beaten and on his level and he breaks his back. Or it's the same as Craven's last hunt where he psychologically torments Spider-Man and does like a whole battle of who's the spider who's craven like it's a whole thing like that of two-face trying to psychologically bring him down to his level and show that they're equal and the only reason that you know he's not a monster is because he calls himself a hero and people see him in the like shiny heroic light that he's in but Mm -hmm. if he comes down into the mud with two-face they'll look at him like a monster and one of the things i really loved about this issue and i really loved of Patton's artwork is how there's one page where the police are interviewing a guy uh, and like trying to find him and all the reactions from everyone paint him out to be some like horrible creature oh that was a great sequence yeah, and like each of those descriptions is is cut by Cyborg's actual face, and each time it's told, it turns like more monstrous till he's like a like cyborg a robot demon yeah. robot thing. Yeah, and and it's a really cool page that like you know it's that he's not actually changing, but uh, showing what people are now seeing him as, and it's it's really cool. But as you said, it's a little heavy handed in this comic book way of. Two Face setting up cameras everywhere and watching him from a secret from a monitor. Layer. Yeah, I didn't realize Two Face had that technology. You know, to... <laughs> right, right. The whole time I was watching, it's like, oh, uh, I guess he set up all these cameras, <laughs> which made me laugh. And like, look, it is still a comic, you know, from the eighties this way. Um, but I really love the art throughout. I feel like Two Face is is drawn pretty, uh, almost like exaggerated in a way that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was really I, solid. Yeah, and I, I do love how Cyborg is rendered throughout this whole thing. And I feel like if you read this and and you're the one to talk on this, um, never really reading a Cyborg thing, how did you feel about Victor Stone? I think you get a good, you get a good like overview of him, but I don't necessarily get a ton of him yet, you know, like it's a sure, lot of like sure. high level thoughts. You on, get like, his main theme. Yeah. You, I guess you do get, you get, you get the kernel of them, but you don't get any of that dressing. You don't get any of the, those side dishes to really feel it like and empathize for him because, right. you know, every, even the main crux of it, it's like, this is a woman he just met. This isn't like a, 
you know, the, the love of his life. Yeah, or something that's, like that. that's another thing I, I don't love about it is, is that it's like this woman that wanted to present him this award. So like, it's somebody apparently he just met today. Yeah. It's just like collateral that, damage. Yeah. And, and I don't love that, you know, um, but other than that, it's, it's, I think a pretty solid, you know, the theme of cyborg of, am I a man or am I a machine? Like, am I a monster? Mm-hmm. You know? I will say, I know you like you like you said you liked how Cyborg was rendered, dude. This costume, holy shit! Oh, fucking terrible! Oh, horrendous, <laughs> man! I hate Cyborg's original '80s look. Yeah, it's he's like, like metal thigh high stockings. Yeah, with, yeah, uh, like garter. Belt yeah, he's got like metallic garter belts on. Like, yeah, he's, like yeah, it's it's terrible. He's I, like I can't Tim Curry that. in Rocky Horror Picture Show, but like metal instead of leather. <laughs> Yeah, I have always hated his look from then. I don't feel like it's cool at all. Like the only thing I'm even a little into is the like face of him, I guess. And even that I'm not super into. Um it's it certainly is something, you know, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, the, I love his look the best when there's like in the middle of the book, there's like a full page splash of him in the trench coat that Two-Face puts him in and like the hat. And he's standing at like where there was the Gotham party for Cyborg. And it's like a full page of him, like holding, yeah, he's got like a yeah. little like pendant in his hand that says, I heart Cyborg. And he's, Cyborg, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I am not a monster. And like, right, my it's name like, is damn, Bitch Stone. That should be your look the whole time, dude. Like cover this shit up. Cause you look ridiculous. right. Definitely keep the hat and the overcoat. Two-Face did you a favor here. <laughs> so yeah it's like eventually he gets to the lair and it's a whole thing of him basically saying like you know what your whole fucking game is bullshit i'll never sink to your level and he's like oh yeah well i i fucking tortured and murdered this girl did you want to see how it felt and it's like it's super gross and he starts crying he goes no let the law take care of you and then it ends with it being an elaborate two-face mask on the girl that was kidnapped how did you feel about that shock ending what a twist (laughs) it is a shocking end uh i didn't expect it because they really frame it like um you know they're talking but then in hindsight now like when i after the reveal and i was going back over the the panels it's like well they they stopped drawing his like human eye like his his non-scarred face like he's just like a a shadow where his eye was his lips never move anymore it's like i should have seen this coming (laughs) yeah (laughs) um it's a pretty satisfying story all around though and i do love how it ends with uh image of like a zoom out of two-face in the dark and like in his bat cave in his bat cave uh but i do love the voices that uh, JMS gives him throughout this. Um, I think they're they're pretty solid Two Face material. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's I what know, I mean. I, like I almost feel like, like Two Face was more fully realized than like a better written character in a lot of ways than Cyborg was throughout. The totally, show. totally uh, fair thing to say here. Um, I do think this is a really good story to hand to someone to like one and done. Here's Cyborg's deal. You know, he is a hero, uh, but he has conflicting problems with his identity and that's been his deal for the 30 40 years now that he's been around um so you know you you get that right off and that's why i wanted you to read this to sort of you know 
get a feel for him and we can, you know, spotlight him in that way. But you're definitely right that this is also a pretty solid Two-Face story. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, Chuck Patton, I really do enjoy his art here. It's a pretty solid story. I love all the the faces for Cyborg and everything like that. I just wish he kept the coat on more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, metallic uh, lingerie is, yeah, there's, there's a market for it, I guess, you know? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. I got one question to ask, and it just it's a it's a dumb thing, but why does Cyborg at times have like wires coming out of his eye? Uh I really don't like that either. Um it's always like this thing where like when he's shooting guns or stuff out of him, he's sort of modular and has like connections here or there. Uh it's really weird. I don't like it. It's you know, Cyborg is so much cooler as like a modular thing that like just changes. But back then it was so much of like the wires and cords. You got to do the pseudoscience to explain it. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So it, it takes away from his coolness. That's for sure. He's all wires and lingerie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's this one. I really do think it's a powerful story. Um, even if it can get hokey at times, like, like comics do. Um, but I think it's a, pretty solid story for both cyborg as well as um two-face as well as some pretty solid artwork from chuck Patton. Mm-hmm, definitely so so where does this like rank for you where do you put this well one? i like this one a lot but i only gave it a 31 okay uh, because it's good and i think it's a, it's a real standout of this series there's a couple others i like in this series but this is definitely one that like you know, I didn't remember it was Chuck Patton. I didn't remember it was JMS. I just remembered that there was a cyborg two face story in this series that like my mind was like, oh, yeah, maybe we should throw that on here for cyborg. So mm-hmm. it's definitely one that's stuck in my mind, but not one where it's like, hell, yeah, I remember everything about it. <laughs> um, and that's sort of what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is one where like I'll I'll have like the broad strokes memories of it, but like the the details of it are meaningless. They're not important. The, the real important things to glean from this are the you know you're right that kernel of truth about cyborg and kind of his deal and you know it's a pretty entertaining two-faced piece um so i have this one i actually have it a little higher than you but not too much um i have this one as a 33 uh, and in my mind what was really holding it back was just the well for one it's supposed to be a cyborg story and i feel like two Face <laughs> is better than cyborg totally fair totally fair. and then the second one being that like it concept wise really cool idea and it's just like a pretty terrible execution of it so i feel like i had to give it bump it up a little bit because conceptually i was really really digging it and i was really into the whole idea of pairing these two characters together um it was just it was a, it was a really neat concept and i never would have thought off the cuff to ever stick these two guys together or that they have like that same nugget at the same, like the inside of their core that you could say like, well, this is not to use a term of two face, but it's the, the, you know, there are two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Right. Right. For sure. For sure. Oh yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about how Two Face just sort of lets him go because he does right. the he flips he does the, coin, the coin baby flip. Yeah, yeah, he does the coin flip, which is a great way to end it. Where it's just like, oh yeah, you it's know kind of a cop out, but you know it is. But it's a cop out that like it works. Yeah, you want that, you know, like right. you want that in your Two Face story. You don't want him to be a psychopath who does whatever he wants. You want him to be judged, like governed by the the coin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the OA, it's pretty good. Oh, and yeah, you ran out of pages to like, shit, we got to fucking end this damn thing. Like, well, you could definitely <laughs> argue that. <laughs> like, you got to the end and they really like the first, what, 10 pages are him at this accepting this award, going to my place, talking about fucking eggplant. <laughs> like, and then it's rapid fire through the like action of. Um, you know, the trials that Two-Face puts them through and then we get their fight and then it's like, ah, shit, like he's walking away. And then like, they're like, Vic's like, oh, we don't need to worry about him anymore. And it's like, how do you know you don't need to worry about him anymore? Like this dude <laughs> <laughs> broke into this woman's home, took her and then sent her on a wild gooch chase right. and you, all these clues he laid out and no one know, noticed, no one knew. What do you mean that this ghost of Gotham you don't need to worry about? This dude could be anywhere. He's got monitors all over the city. <laughs> we we put an end to him. It's like, no, you didn't. You didn't even see him. You were going to blast her head off that you thought was him. Like, right, right. For sure, for sure. There's definitely stuff you can argue. But I feel like it doesn't, like, take away from the story. No, no. It's know? it's fun. It's, you know, we, we joke, but it's good. It is, yeah. So that gets a 64 overall. So that ties it, Danny, uh, with Detective Comics 235, the first Batman. That'll be the Thomas Wayne one where he dressed up in that party and he was cool. Mm. Uh, Detective Comics 247, the man who ended Batman's career. What the hell is that one? Um, Is that the one where Batman has to go dressed up as the other guy because he's afraid of bats? I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) Uh, is it, is it the Starman one? Yes, the Phobia of Bats, that one that we love, that, (laughs) where the kid says to Batman, look at my cool bat kite. (laughs) 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 Uh, and it also ties with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 24 through 26, Rick Veach's The River. The River. Hmm. So, so do you like this more than any of those? I didn't like that turtle story. (laughs) I enjoy that turtle story, but you know me. (laughs) That turtle story took a left turn at the end there. I mean, you're not wrong. I feel like I'd put it above that. Okay. Okay. Now, do you think it's better than Bruce being afraid of? I'm. Uh, I remember bats? the Starman, like bat, bat being afraid of bats, and the is that we the one where he's in the gorilla that. suit too? No, that's not the same one. That's no. Robin dies at dawn. Oh, okay. Maybe we could put it below there, slot it between turtles and that. Okay. Okay. I won't argue with you there. Let's stick it there. That feels like a good spot for it. Okay. Okay. The turtle story sucked, dude. It didn't. Uh, We were at Teen Titans Spotlight 13. Uh, It goes on the list at at, uh, 108 out of 138 uh, selections. Um, Okay. So let's move on to the Marvel side now. Um, We will go to... Let's see which one we'll hit up first. Let's talk about Black Panther. Let's talk about the unfortunately named Jungle Action featuring the Black Panther in Epilogue of Death. Um, 
what did you think of this one, Danny? Let's let's hear your thoughts. We for this one, this is the one where I was saying I'm the most personally attached to. Um, I do apologize because this one, you don't. <laughs> it's not the best one and done. But even though it is, uh, it is the epilogue to almost like a twelve part story prior yeah, to dude, this. You can't tell me this is a one and done comic. I had no clue what Look, was happening here. You ask anyone, and they'll tell you it's the one and done. Uh, it it really is an epilogue that could be read at the end of um, an entire story here, where um, this is a pretty famous uh, story, The Panther's Rage, um, where Don McGregor and the artist here, um, Billy Graham, come on, and he does most of it. Um, they take over jungle action and they end up turning it into something really uh, exciting here. And they, they introduce the whole Eric Killmonger then um, and the whole story. And it's all about T'Challa returning to uh, Wakanda and like, you know, his, his outside nature versus how he should be here. It's basically the basis for, you know, the entire movie that we've seen, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so all the stuff there with like, you know, Killmonger trying to do his coup and all the conflict of how T'Challa has trouble being here, but also wanting to go be a superhero somewhere else. And this and all that, basically all that story is lifted from here. So for the past like 12 issues, he's dealt with all types of uh, like all types of different threats that have been going on in Wakanda, uh, culminating in the whole um waterfall type scene with Eric Killmonger. Um, a lot of other weird shit happens. That's not in the movie unrelated to the movie. Um, but that's what this whole story leads into. And then this is the like two and a half months later, uh, pickup that happens afterwards. Um, I remember this one for the Billy Graham art and the absolutely slamming double page spread that we'll get to, which is stuck in my mind forever. Um, but I want I want to hear what you have to say about this one here, and and what you have to say about um, Billy Graham's art, about Black Panther, about how lost you were with this. Anything you have to say about this one? Hit me up. Oh, Jesus. All right. So art wise, thought this was some really clean comic art. Um, really, really loved the way that he drew bodies and the way that black panther's drawn and the way he moves he just he felt real cat like i don't know like he just really um, yeah yeah that's he just he, sure. he felt really cool and i love the way he was drawn and and all the other characters too um but at the same time i was in left field about <laughs> plot and storyline i was afraid you might say that and i mean i, I totally got, get that thank goodness that i watched that movie because at least i knew yeah, okay killmonger yeah. is a bad guy he's you know a rival to t'challa and black panther so i at least had that so it gave me the the backdrop i think that if i didn't have that i would have been in left i would have been gone i wouldn't even have been in the i'm sure i'm sure and i expected that but like there's so many of like bits of this run that i remember more so than i remember the whole story and i didn't really want to subject you to uh the whole like 12 issues that you'd have to read in just a few days you know yeah no Uh, i mean i think that like the broad strokes of this story where it's like 
okay, the law, like, so the, the general crux of this is that, um, Eric's lover is, wants to take revenge on T'Challa for killing him. Right. So she's going after him. Madam Slay is her name, right? Madam Slay. Yes. This is her first appearance. That part of it was really cool. Great story. Loved her introduction. Loved that whole fight and, you know, the, the back and forth there and how that gets resolved. Really, really neat. And let me stop you and just say, like, that is the reason I add it. Because in my head, when I remember this story and I remember, like, Billy Graham's art and this, all I remember is is Black Panther getting knocked out and being dragged into Madam Slay's. Uh, you talk about that leopard page? <laughs> the leopard page. Yeah. The incredible fucking leopard page, which, like... I want to take that double page spread and like just frame it and put it up in my house because it's so fucking good. I love it so much. Uh, and then it's uh, preceded by T'Challa being strung by his hands to two leopards. And then the leopards are trained to run with him uh, to like drag him along until he gets in between like a huge sharp rock and just fuck him up. Uh and he does a super fucking cool hop leap up to land on their backs and ride them back into Madam Slay's <laughs> trap that he sets in her cave. And that whole sequence is like everything I could ever want out of a Black Panther. It's coming. fantastic. And they almost <laughs> even draw so him like good. Batman, like the way that his like, because his very Batman is. Yes, because his whole shit gets ripped up and yeah. stuff. Is that what you mean? Yeah, right. Everything gets ripped up. His face, uh, you know, the mask gets ripped. So his his chin and mouth is exposed and he's it, he looks like you know if you were to cover up his body and just look at his head it's like oh man that, that's batman on on his back here right 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 for sure yeah that part of the story i am into i'm loving it i get it it's cool but this whole thing with yeah i'm the sorry that man at the beginning horatio that's, or uh yeah that's like what i think it takes about 15 pages to get to there <laughs> Right, yeah, we start where we jump into T'Challa commenting on piano playing. (laughs) Yeah, he brought his his lady from Harlem or whatever uh, to Wakanda, and like the whole like run is all about how his retainers and the people in his royal court are like, "What are you doing? You you're not taking everything seriously. You're caring more about her than the the." trials that you should be doing this or that so like it's a whole thing of her Mm -hmm. acclimating to the life there and and what they should be doing or not so it's them picking up on like oh she's still here and and she got a piano because they brought a piano in (laughs) none of the beginning is very good stuff i'm with you there like i don't understand what the deal is with this like prisoner but they like respect him but like yeah it's like and then i'm like also like is he a is he a white dude but he's got like a metal skeleton it's a whole thing and and i was really going to just like if you were going to text me or say anything uh i'm pretty much just saying to you like we'll skip it we'll get to that story someday for the podcast i have no interest (laughs) in reading that fucking story Uh, it's good it's good you'll like it someday we'll get to it yeah that was weird and then we go into this like marital strife between his like Yes. His pal. What's his name? Yes, that's been an ongoing thing. Uh, what the hell is his name? I forget. Wakabi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wakabi has been like the guy that's, you know, sort of like tersely bristling against T'Challa, but helping him. And he loses an arm in the big fight and has to get like a cyborg arm. And the whole thing is like how 
he's having marital strife throughout all this. And, and it's actually really good stuff when you read it all like that. It's, it's like we were saying about the, um, the cyborg one and how it was almost like we we're saying avant-garde, like ahead of its time. A lot of this run is very much ahead of its time with what was being published at the time. Um, and I mean, I feel you, you wouldn't get as much of that here just with this issue, but a lot of those type of uh, plot details of like him dealing with like his marriage falling apart is interesting shit. Yeah. I mean, I, I was lost on the relevance to this particular story and what it was trying to say thematically in this context, but oh, I yeah, thought it was is... a very interesting idea to like, to almost play with this, like, like idea of him being like less of a person. And like, you know, you you always get these in these stories. It's the, it's the man, the tough man that's walking out, you know, and saying Fuck right. this lady. And it's almost like inverted here. So I thought it was like, wow, this is an interesting play of like the, the relationship where it's like, right. She's like the one his saying, wife leaves. Yeah. She's the one t- saying like, you're the used goods. Like it's usually the other way around of like, you know, you're the, you're the spoiled fruits. I don't want you anymore. And it's right. Like, and, and he feels like, you know, he's lost himself. Mm-hmm in their relationship and what he wasn't able to do and stuff like that. And it's done pretty well. And I agree. Like, look, (laughs) I'm the one that had you just read this. So there's a lot more that you get out of this when you read the whole story beforehand. But um, all that stuff in the, in the beginning is, is pretty much set dressing to be like, okay. Yep. And then on page what, seven or eight, when we finally get to, um, we meet uh, mute and Madam Slay. They're not named yet, but like them, they're killing right. some. They some, pop up yeah, and they, they kill up. some leopard hunters. Yeah, and then then shit gets cool. That's why the fight's happening. Yeah, and and yeah, that's like I think eleven pages in before we we see them, and then yeah, it's the whole rest of the issue is is the stuff I remember, and like I th- I honestly thought it was the entire issue, so I was a little upset when I sent this to you, and then I reread it, and it was like, oh man, like he's gonna be lost with this. Yeah, it was a bit much, and I feel like this is definitely one of those books too, where like the art is really really strong and beautiful, and the way it's colored, and I don't know if maybe the Marvel app, it's just like everything's popping really great on the tablet. Yeah, and there's so much dialogue and narration that's i was just gonna say i love uh the panther's rage and i love um don mcgregor's run on here because he does so much cool shit that obviously you know later influences the movie changes the character and it's still stuff that people are picking up on today but when i sit down and i actually read it oh man it's like i just ran a fucking marathon dude needed an editing pen for sure it's like, man, I am exhausted after reading one of these issues. I know that there's been multiple times like I've picked up the Marvel Masterworks Black Panther book and it's like, okay, I'm going to read some of this shit again. And like, I'll make it through like maybe halfway <laughs> of one issue and it's like, oh my God, I'm falling asleep. Like, I had to put I this like down last it, night. But I'm I, falling asleep, yeah. you know? Yeah, I had read, um, I had done my first pass through of the the first three stories and I was getting ready to do this one and I got like three pages in and I'm like, I can't, I can't keep this straight. There's so many words I'm, I'm lost and it is a slog. (laughs) And it's, and it's true that you, you do not need that many, you know, Mm -hmm. like the artwork is so amazing and I feel like you totally get what's going on. Like I get, he's doing his, his whole 
Claremontian like narration of the dramatic narrator telling you stuff. But like so much of the narration turns into basically as if Don McGregor is uh, Marv Albertson courtside <laughs> for this entire like thing. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, he's like, yes, uh, Black Panther is back in action, and he strikes this way. And it's like, okay, like, dude, you didn't need to write any of that. Like, just well, like Billy Graham separates his, uses his real hand. He reaches across <laughs> and unclicks his fake hand, revealing a laser. <laughs> it's like, I could have right. got that right. picture, right. dude. Like... <laughs> Right, like an impossibly huge hand reaches out for him, thrust from the pastel foliage, and it's like, okay. That hand, he used the term impossibly huge three times (laughs) in two panels. That's how big Mute is, so impossibly huge. Impossibly huge hand, like, like I was just waiting for everything to be described with Mute as impossibly large. Right. His impossibly large head shines (laughs) as he walks into the room. It is. It's it's <laughs> holding it's a sword a impossibly much. large that would dwarf a normal man's hand, <laughs> but not in mutes impossibly large digits. <laughs> it's too much, you know. I don't need the Marvel Albert storytelling. And the and the problem is that like he's he's a good writer. Like it's good writing. It's just there's too much of it. Yeah, it's almost like the novelization of this story that he right. laid over top the pictures, like in the right, end. right, and and like I love reading this whole story because I think it is great, and I do love like the inner turmoil and all the deep shit that he does right. But sometimes it's like, man, I just I ran a fucking marathon trying to get through one page. Like that's enough. Like I've had enough, you know. Mm-hmm. So totally fair uh, saying that because I feel the exact same way. Uh, frustrating honestly yeah and i think it's interesting too how we had to cop out from them hitting a killing a woman of it being an accident like yeah uh if she comes back to in this it pretty much says that like she bashed her entire brain open and she's dead and she shows up in a couple like i think there's two other comics she shows up in like an iron man story it's weird um as far as i would think she's she's dead she's yeah and they won't like actually kill her. Like it's an accident that she does it. It's like, right. Like she, what does she get like pulled through or something? And she falls on a rock and crazy. Well, yeah. Like head? they make it a point to say that, um, in Wakabi's, you know, he's got his laser hand and he breaks the chains, right. but he's like, he doesn't understand how to use his limb, but he does understand its power. Right. So it's she like, like he, leaps in the air. Yeah, and slips like he understands or that like he makes a, a distinct choice to not, I'm going to, I don't get this, but I get it enough to not kill her, yet she still dies. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yet, yet he does. And kill it's her. like, so you, <laughs> is it just because you couldn't have a, like, you know, you're, you're killing a woman? Like, you can't do that on the page, like, at this time? Like, is that what it is? Right. It's, it's silly because the narration is like, Wakabi is not killing this woman. Yeah. And then the woman is killed. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah. and then it's like him like looking. You can't do both, yeah. McGregor. <laughs> right. And I think they're trying, like, what he's trying to do is to, like, you know, Wakabi is like, you know, we had what I got from the marital strife was his still struggle with this new reality of his. And, like, right. I figured, like, oh, they're trying to give him a, a complex about it even further, you yeah, know, that he's, sure. he, he's got blood on his robot laser limb now like. right 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 like it's he's not sure how to control himself is it even human you know because they do a lot of stuff with like 
him talking to T'Challa about how, you know, he has this phantom limb hanging from his arm. And, and that's cool. That's great. But like then then write it like that. Not like you spend so much time saying that like he actively chose not to kill her. He right. understands this new thing enough not to kill her, but then she dies. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a shame, honestly. Uh, I wish because the problem is, too, that they like get to a point where they're talking and it becomes almost like a full rationalization of of T'Challa being like, look, Killmonger tried to like ruin everything, but I'm so sick of everyone dying and everything terrible happening. And I don't want this to happen anymore. And it almost gets to a point where like him and Madam Slay are almost like being like in their grief and their angst of like the shit that's happened. They're almost like done. But then she like hits him again in the side or something, you know? And I feel like the, the better way to end this story would have been like everyone breaking down and just being like, everything is terrible. Like, let's get out of here. You know? Mm -hmm. Because they they do that with Mute, who just starts crying, and it turns into a whole thing of like, oh, he's not so bad. He's just like, he's fucked up. He's in love with this woman. Right. And it's like a whole thing about how everybody is just devastated by the entirety of the Killmonger arc and everything that came before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, it's it's no. Um, <laughs> she, she cracks her head open instead. Um which is a shame because I think they they pretty much have it there where they all could have like yeah that nugget's just right there to be like you know violence death the divisiveness us fighting like it serves nothing right like, we're all know, like, tired of yeah it. like we don't need to do this this way and like you're just on the tip of like okay it's an epilogue you can give us the more like the more give, give us that you don't have to have the climactic battle and the you know, good beating evil at this point. Like you can end in that moral grayness because it's an epilogue. Like it's the story's over. This is just right. You were, you were just introduced to Madam Slay. So like, you don't need to make her a whole new evil, like villain. The big bad you're setting up for the future. Like you could just, she could, she could say like, ah, like fuck, like I, I'm, my heart's broken and I get, you know, like she could understand you. She could, you know, get that realization of where T'Challa is coming from and, and his pain and the grief that he's feeling about all these actions and think, ah, exactly. shit, maybe, maybe he's not the villain. Maybe Eric did have some roles to play in his fate. Like, you know, I don't right. know what happened, right. but like, absolutely. It could have ended in a much more like, not everything is good. Not everything is evil. We just need to stop being so hateful towards each other and we can figure this shit out like kind of exactly exactly agreed completely and that's where like in my head is how i sort of remember it but (laughs) then you know i reread it and it was like oh no wait like yeah she she cranks her head open and that's that so i was a little disappointed in that too and upon my remembrance here um but boy, how about that double page flash of her on her Gorgeous. with all that with like, all them leopards around there? Mm. Ugh, like, and I loved, I loved her dialogue during that too, where like she's like, "I wear this shit because you fuckers killed yeah. these goddamn leopards, so I wear it to remind myself that you pieces of shit struck down something right. so beautiful." And it's like, "Fuck, I love this lady." Yes, like she's so she got good. It. Like, and then you, you you kill her like this. It's like, dude, you yeah, it sucks. You she have set up like somebody that could be such a great 
not even a villain, like a great like, anti-hero, yeah. just yeah. like someone that lives in the, the grayness of this world of like just disagrees yeah. with T'Challa, but isn't maybe, you know, the worst person. You right. Know? Yeah. She's not going to she's not evil, but she's definitely not with him no matter what. Right. Kind of deal. Right. Right. And she could have been a great player throughout. Like, I thought you're setting up like, damn, like we got our new, you know, um. I don't know. I can't think of an analog because I'm not really good on. Well, it's like, it's like everyone they introduce into the movie, honestly, you know, like yeah. every other um, character. Oh, all the other tribes, up. you know, like in Baku. Right. Right. Zone, Baku, baby. And like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> like him. And then you've got the other guy that's like on the council with them that yeah. like, you know, is is perhaps betraying them. And like, it's a whole thing where you could be like, oh, OK, she'll just be a player in Wakanda. Um and like I was saying, that's why I wish the ending was more like we'll we'll live to see each other another day, you know, like. So like if Marvel cuts you the check fighting. and they say, Dave Shevlin, sweet boy, <laughs> we want you to write Black Panther. Wait here, I'm ready to write it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to say, here's my pitch. Madam Slay, Slay. leopards everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> Every, Everywhere. Every page she's just laying. Well, you have to. Yeah, there is, there's so many in that page. And, and fucking Billy Graham flexing in that page with how he draws all those leopards, too, because they look fucking great. Mm. I even love, too, how uh, Black Panther's even drawn, where like his like, he doesn't have like the white superhero eyes. It's his like, normal eyes. Right, he's eyes. got like, the slits in his costume. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is how like a dude dressing as a Black Panther would look like. Well, and and I feel like Black Panther is so much of a character that, you know, it's not Black Panther. Like everyone calls him T'Challa. Like there's such a focus on the man underneath the mm-hmm. mask, too. So that also adds a way to like really That's true be into him as the character. Why does he wear a way? costume then? You know, like I'm thinking about that, like uh, ceremonial garb or yeah. whatever, you know, <laughs> Um, this shit ain't made of vibranium or whatever the fuck it is in the movie. Yeah, like, that's true. That's very he's true. Scattered up all throughout. Yeah, he's he's fucked up when those leopards try to take him. Spandex or some fucking cotton bullshit, right? Um, but yeah, it's so fucking cool. That whole like juxtaposition of them as characters, like the art is incredible to me. The fact that he's tied to leopards and then sent off to fucking die is an amazingly elaborate death. It's got a great like biblical like trial like old testament like feel right like, oh shit like yeah like i could see you know lot or daniel somebody got fucking strung up like this you know like it's got <laughs> a real like you know just it feels like something that comes out of like a classic parable of like the, the two leopards tied to us pulling us in opposite directions you know kind of it's just it's neat it's neat right it is i i really do enjoy it um but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about this one? No, no, I think we covered my notes here. It's good stuff. Yeah, this is my favorite one. This is like um, the most personal attachment I have here. Like I said, I love that art. Um, so I gave this one a 36. Okay, okay, that's fair. I had this yeah, one. Like I said, it's, it's half an issue, you yeah. know, half an issue. I love half an issue that I don't remember or ever need to read again. Yeah. And I feel like I, my score kind of reflects like the, the whole, the totality of it. Cause like half of this issue is really cool, but I still even had problems with the half of the issue. That's really cool. And like how the choices they made with it, like that ending, I just feel like really betrays the whole story and the concept that they set up in this sure. of like, not good and evil, clear winner, clear loser. Um, 
it just it it, it kind of fell, fell flat for me. So I have this one as a a thirty, just gotcha. a flat thirty. Gotcha. I definitely feel like it's 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 got a lot of elements, and the art is definitely pushing that up. If this had some more boilerplate kind of like house art in here, or um, I would have felt like it. I would not have given it that score. Right. And and that's why I wanted to highlight Billy Graham so much. Like he was a guy in the 70s, one of the few, you know, black artists coming up at that time. And he was doing early like Warren Vampirella stuff before he went to Marvel. And he's done other things, but not much. And this is pretty much his full on like claim to fame in comics. Um like I said, he's done other issues here, or there, and other type of work, but this is his like main fucking deal. Um, and it's, I mean, what a statement to leave. It's, it's so fucking good. I think it's, it's the coolest shit. Um, so yeah, like based on artwork alone, that's why I give it such a high score too, because that double page splash, man, ooh, can't get enough. It's so fucking good. I'm surprised you so, tried to buy that page. Oh my god, it would be so much money. It would just be so much money. I wish I could have gotten it before the movie ever happened. Probably would have probably was like 300 bucks back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, that gives it a 66. Um are so we, let's see where that I think hits are we tied with what we just did? No, there was 64. Oh, okay. Ugh, this is tied with a lot of stuff. So, this ties with Deathlock 1 through 4, which we did at the beginning of this month. Uh, it ties with One Punch Man chapters one through eleven. That first arc. It ties with Marvel Holiday Special nineteen ninety one. Uh, it ties with Batman one thirteen, the original Zorin R story. Uh, and it ties with Web of Spider Man sixty, where Cosmic Spider Man fights Goliath, aka Power Man, which we'll get to later in the episode. <laughs> so, so where are you thinking for this? Um, what do we think? So it was Deathlock. What was after Deathlock? One Punch Man. One through eleven. Then what was after One Punch Man? Marvel Holiday Special ninety one. I feel like it's kind of comparable to to that yeah. in the way where like we love the FF story in there by Art Adams and Simon. Oh Smith. yeah, that that was the Franklin story. Franklin, yeah, and Sue market. above everybody. Yeah. yeah, like so we loved parts of that. Just like we love parts of this, I feel like it's pretty comparable. Okay, so I feel like all right, so it's going to either go above or below that. Then, I think and I know fair. you you probably like it better than the originals are in our story. Yeah, that blue. I knew. I know you don't like it. I love it. <laughs> that blue. It's good. It's definitely above that. It's. I feel like which side of that holiday special is it going to go on? All right. Hmm. And we really only like that one story out of that holiday special. Let's put it above. Yeah, that. I, I'd agree with that. I'm fine with that because really, the holiday special we we give so much credence to that FF story, but there was a lot of duds in there. There were a lot of duds in there. I mean, as much as I loved that heartwarming tale of old Susie and Frankie at that Christmas market, <laughs> learning so the good. special meaning of Christmas. So it'll go into the list at 102, uh, Jungle Action number 18. Okay, from there, let us hop into... First, let's uh, just applaud me for not referencing uh, Jungle Love, the Morris Day and the Time track. (laughs) 
one time during that segment. So thank you. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So now let's move on to Power Man number 21, Luke Cage. Uh, This one is written by Tony Isabella. Uh, he was the writer of Black Lightning. Yeah, we just had a little taste of him. Just had a little Tony Isabella. Uh, there's a plotting assist by Len Wein. It's drawn by Ron Wilson. It's inked by my personal villain, Vince Coletta. Uh, it's lettered by Tom Orzachowski. Uh, and I believe it's colored by Stan Goldberg. Um, but the person we're highlighting here is Ron Wilson. Um, Ron Wilson is a... <coughs> uh, black artist that i feel like again uh just like we were talking about chuck Patton, maybe people don't even know is a black artist um ron wilson pretty much did a bunch of random stuff in the uh 70s until he ended up coming on to the title marvel two and one um with the thing you know Mm -hmm. um so ron wilson ends up doing marvel two and one for so long like he does it for like five or six years. He's doing that. Um, he ends up doing Marvel two and one, and then does the thing solo series. Um, you'll remember Ron Wilson's art from the Marvel two and one eighty six where he teams up with Sandman. Um, okay. He did the art there. He did so much art for the thing. Basically he drew the thing stories from, I think like 1984 to 1992 three or something he basically drew the thing for like 10 years um and he did a whole bunch of other random shit at the time um leading into the 90s a bunch of random issues and he is actually credited as one of the team for milestone um he only did a couple issues for milestone comics but he was one of the people that was brought in to start it and did a whole bunch of designs and like plot work for when they were trying to build their whole universe um again he's a person that i feel like people don't even like they wouldn't even know his name if they saw his artwork um he is very much one of those artists that it's like you know journeyman work where it's solid it's never anything that's coming out of the page and punching you in the face um but it's never bad um here he's he's pretty young doing stuff um but like i said he went full on into the 90s and he's still around doing commissions and stuff. Um, I tried to get a commission from him once and I ended up speaking to his wife by email, which was pretty weird, uh, but it didn't work out at the time cause he was busy and didn't have one. And I never, uh, responded back to like try again. Uh, but at the time his, his wife was very nice, very kind about trying to get something set up. Uh, but he was just too busy at the time. Um, uh, so yeah, the Wilsons are are pretty nice, pretty fun people. <laughs> um, but I I really always have loved his work because he did the thing for so long, and um, I have an odd attachment, as you know, to some of those two in one stories as well as the thing series. Uh, Do you remember what your commission was going to be? Uh, I was going to have him redo the cover of the Thing Sandman one of them drinking uh, beer. What draw you in the background? No, I just wanted it from like another angle or whatever. Mister Thing, Mister Thing, Mister Thing, it's me. Can I have a beer too? (laughs) I've just had a rough day as well. (laughs) Uh, Really good shit. Uh, So yeah, you know he's a very unsung hero for from the bronze age of Marvel all the way into the 1990s. He did a bunch of um, 
random stuff for them in the early 90s. He did some Spider-Man. He did some handbook stuff. He did a, a long run on Marvel Comics Presents doing random stories. Um, he did some what ifs. He's he's done a lot of stuff like throughout the years for Marvel. And like I said, he only did a tiny bit of DC work. Um, and it was mainly just some milestone stuff. Um, but I really like the guy. I really like his artwork. And I tried very hard to find some type of work by him featuring a black character that I also want to highlight. And that is our man Luke Cage here. Um, so how do you feel about Ron Wilson as well as Luke Cage? Um, well, the art I thought was one of this, this stuck out to me more as like, this felt like Marvel comics, you know? Yeah. Like, it like didn't, a Marvel house style. Yeah. It didn't feel like, Oh man, like this guy's got a, you know, this, this viewpoint on the world, the way he draws the world is wild. It didn't feel like that here, but it just was like solid Marvel art. Um, which I think there's there's a strength in that. There, uh, I was just going to say the exact same thing, that there is a real you know value and strength to that. And I do feel like a lot of people are like, oh, this guy draws in house style. And I feel like a lot of people dismiss artists like that. But when you really look at his resume of doing like the thing for almost a right, full yeah, a char- like a character that transcends media, like the right. visual look of him, like he's defined it, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, you want someone like that to work at your company for a while that is going to do anything. Right. Like you can pop him on any book and he's going to give you that that Marvel hostile you love. Um, But continue, continue. No, I I thought it was really solid. Um, You know, I think (laughs) as far as the art, I feel like sometimes uh, the way that Luke Cage is positioned in like these fight scenes, he's got some very interesting body uh kind of <laughs> there's a lot of strange yeah. body uh stuff that's almost like kirby-esque here <laughs> yeah like gigantic blocky mitts and um yeah you know, and i think it's, it's just like those fights and you saying that like he went on to draw the thing it's like oh, okay i see like kind of the yeah the blockiness yeah. of the thing and like that whole action you can definitely feel like he is very kirby influenced even if he doesn't know it like it's almost like it and I don't mean to like demean him, but I mean it's it's sort of like a kid being like, I loved Jack Kirby. I'm going to try to draw like him, you know, yeah. uh, but never reaching those those heights, um, and almost making his own style out of that. Mm-hmm. I guess you could uh, say about him. And the fight scenes, like you said, are the big blocky fists. And I think this is the comic we can talk the least about. Uh, it's Luke Cage back when he's power man and the old villain old avengers villain power man who will eventually become goliath who we read about in that web of spider-man uh x avengeance story um he was called power man and it's funny that tony isabella and them decided to make a story where basically like this old forgotten villain also had that name and i think that's pretty fun to like toss it into a real story and say like Oh yeah, in this universe, like this villain would be like, "Holy shit!" Like, I'm, I'm Power Man, not this new guy. Um, and I think that's really funny. If 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 it deserves an entire issue, I don't know. <laughs> but I do. Enjoy my head, it. no. I'm shaking my head. No, it doesn't. <laughs> There's a lot of fluff here. There's a lot. There's a lot of fluff. Look, I totally, totally get it. Yeah, this isn't um, really one of those impactful stories. It was, it was funny to me that, like, to that your point of like. Oh gosh, like there's an old one. They're playing with the continuity. Um, it's silly, it's fun. Uh the whole premise of where we find 
Luke Cage at the beginning of this, heartbroken because his girlfriend, his girl Claire, is gone. Yeah, she just go ups and leaves him with no yep. no notice. She leaves a note with her employer to give. That's to like it. yeah, that's some of the meat of the issue yeah. <laughs> for development yeah, of the story. For him to be pissed and just having a bad day, but then that has nothing to do or really is touched on ever again um, no. with the whole Power Man battle for the name fight. Oh yeah, this is almost like a straight up like fill in issue just about. Yeah. Um the only things that really get continued here for the ongoing plot of the Power Man issue is yeah, Claire's Claire's up and gone and he's gonna have to figure that stuff out in the future. Um yeah, I mean it's it pretty much okay. it. I, I I wasn't really a fan of this issue just mainly because I didn't feel and I think to your point, you're saying it's a filler issue. So like maybe by design, but I didn't feel like there was anything relevant. There were no stakes here. There was no. Oh yeah. No, I'm with you a hundred percent. Kind of just this like is, a waste of time. Not this is sounds really up. mean to say that, but <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's how, you know, comics were run back then. You know, it's, it's almost straight up a, a fill in issue of an old 1970s Marvel comic, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't, think it's bad but i agree with you completely that that's you know it's a sandwich with one piece of meat on it <laughs> yeah you know you know what i mean yeah. like it's it's fun and like you know you still get a little taste out of it but like you're not sitting there going like this is the greatest fucking sandwich i've ever had um, yeah, you're like i'm hungry this will do but like if i've right. already eaten it's like i don't need to read this like <laughs> right for sure for sure uh i really just wanted to show off like Luke Cage and how he used to be as Power Man, um, and yeah, which like I have no experience deal. with them. I mean, Luke Cage, I I watched the the Netflix Marvel you know show, right. and that's really my only exposure to the character. Which I enjoyed that. I don't know if that's what the what the comic world consensus is on that show, but I liked it as a non. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. Um, Solid show, banging soundtrack. Really, that's what's absolutely absolutely soundtrack. Um, but, you know, for me, this issue, it was like, why are we reading this? Like, it's funny. It's silly. What a great premise. But it's like, this would have been much more interesting to me had like, or f- it would have been more fun had uh, pow- the this old Power Man showed up like in the midst of a legitimate like uh, Luke Cage story. Yeah, no. sure. Totally, totally fair. Like I was saying in the beginning of this episode, uh, a lot of my choices for this week were just big reaches so that I could get an artist or a creator yeah, as this well was- as a as a character. Um, and I I did remember this one and I knew it was f- fluff. But well, you you saying you remember it means nothing. You remember fucking everything. So like, you- correct, correct. Yeah. I am oh, not man, saying resonated with that. Absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out. I am not saying I remember it in a way where like I remember it and that's why it's good. I'm saying I just I remember I read this at one point. <laughs> um, for me, this one is just funny in a way where it's like, you know, it's old school Marvel comics, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bunch of people getting together and being like, what, what the fuck should we do this about the Power Man? Wasn't there another Power Man? All right, we'll have that fight. Oh, um, gosh, and it seemed like they, they didn't even have enough to fill the pages because we got these two gigantic splash pages toward the end. Where with it, the Roy Thomas editor yeah. note. This is what is known in the industry as terse writing. And then they do it again. Uh, this is what is known in the industry as a lazy writer trying to get away with murder twice. The problem is I really like those pages. 
I feel they undercut like how cool they are, you yeah. know? It's almost like you would have liked this issue more if like Ron Wilson had done almost the entire fight in a uh you know, Death of Superman, every page of the fight gets like one page, you know? Because mm-hmm. like if you already know you don't have that much to fill the issue, maybe they should have gone that way and really like hyped up his art here. Yeah. Um, yeah, because those pages and- they're they're beautiful and the way they're colored and it's great. Yeah. It is. It's real cool. And I mean, it's it's Vince Coletta on, on inks, who we talked about a little bit in the Mr. Miracle episode about how he just butchered uh, Jack Kirby's inks all the time. And he butchers pretty much everybody's inks. Uh, so it never reaches anything like amazing here in artwork. But I, I really I don't know do. if he does anything terrible with these, though. They're just they're fine. He doesn't do anything terrible. It just it, it just looks a little sloppy sometimes for me. Um but I do, I do love a lot of the scenes. Like I was saying, it's very Kirby esque the art that Wilson's doing here. Yeah, I think the highlight of this is the the last page where Luke, you know, after he beats the snot out of uh, the artist, the villain formerly known as Power Man, and um, she he does his whole line of like, I don't care what the fuck you call yourself, like you can call yourself right. Spider Man, you can call yourself the Invisible Girl. <laughs> It's good. Yeah, you, shit. You call yourself the spirit of seventy six. Stick a flag up your ass. <laughs> Which he should have said that. Like it's bullshit. He and he goes he like, can't say that back yeah. in the day. <laughs> but he goes this whole thing of like, you can stick a flag in your navel and call yourself the spirit of seventy six. It's like I reread that in my head as like he said, shove that up his ass. Like that's what he's talking about. Like, right. <laughs> um. That that whole line was great. Like that was where I was like, fucking hey, fine. Like this is cool. And then then it's over. <laughs> right. And and like you said, it it's it's such a fluff issue, but it's it's classic Bronze Age Marvel and the fact that like it's doing dumb shit and just pick it up this week and it's it's gonna be Power Man versus Power Man. But yeah, I, I don't think this this issue is anything like amazingly special. Like I said, I just wanted to talk about Luke Cage and I wanted to talk about Ron Wilson. Um uh, it's also funny that it ends with him like picking up the girl and go and saying, let's get some ice cream. <laughs> Wholesome Luke Cage. <laughs> uh, anything else you have to say about it? No, no, I think we covered. <laughs> I don't think we can give much more to the plot. No, you can't yeah. really. You can't. It's, you know, as we've talked about uh, the thing in Sandman Marvel 2 and 1, like we've hit Ron Wilson before, but I just really wanted to highlight him and show him and talk about him because I feel like he's a like an incredibly huge creator for how much content he did and no one ever talks about him. Um, so it's cool. It's fun. And it's fun seeing him do a black character like Luke Cage. Um, that being said, what did you rank this one? I don't have this one very high. Um I have this one as a 22. Oh, I, <laughs> I only put it as a 20 <laughs> <laughs> because like, yeah, you're right. Like when I was reading this, I'm like, yeah, this isn't very good. I can't really rank this high. Like the others, you know, there is no Madam Slay page. There is no cool leopard shit. You know, there is no dichotomy between two face and cyborg in a bizarre matchup that works. So, yeah. Yeah. I had this as a 22 and really, um, that last page, his little speech of where he strings him up and then he does his whole thing. <laughs> when he wakes up, make sure he, he could you remind him what I just told you? <laughs> yeah, like Luke has written cool as fuck in this for sure. It's just, you know. Yeah, that's where there's not like, much here. Damn. Yeah, finally. But yeah, the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. And look, I'm here to give you 
pretty much every comic ever made. So we got to hit them all at some point. <laughs> oh, God. We'll be doing this till we're 80 years old, you know, in the fire, fire future. So that gets a 42 overall. So that is pretty goddamn long. That's gonna, is that is, last? No, third from the bottom. Ultimates, uh, one through six, only has a 28. So that's our, our reigning low champion. Uh, that sucked. That sucked. This is better than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd rather read this again than. <laughs> oh, no doubt. Yes, no Dean Rogers. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our last pick of the day. Uh, this is Black Goliath number five. Um, this is number five of five issues. Uh, this is a really weird series. Uh, this is Bill Foster. Black Goliath. He was introduced in an early Avengers issue as Hank Pym's lab assistant. Um, and he's around here or there throughout the years, but eventually they bring him in in like a random ass story where he gets Pym particles and moves out west and he becomes uh, Black Goliath. Uh, of course, he has to be Black Goliath. Uh, not just Goliath. Eventually, he becomes just Goliath. Yeah, There's I was going to say because in the in the context of the story, they never refer to him as Black Goliath. He's always yeah, just Goliath. I, I don't believe that he calls himself Black Goliath in this, but I am certain that he does in a previous issue because I read all four issues before this just to be like I wanted to catch myself up on him. Um, but he does call himself that. I think like once or twice. It's stupid. I'm glad that they don't do that all the time. Um, because eventually he does just go by Goliath. He has a period where he goes by Giant Man when Giant Man isn't taken, but he's one of the many uh, Goliaths that have existed in the Marvel Universe. Um, He's never been a popular character. He's never really been in much of anything um, besides some random stories in Marvel 2 and 1 with The Thing uh, or his five-issue series here. Um, He was in Civil War where he was killed as the big death in that where it was like, dude, nobody's been reading Bill Foster stories in ever. So that was a huge cop out. I still hate it to this day. Um, But he's always been a a character that I I sort of like. I've liked that he is like a genius, but he's ready to hop into action. I like in his series in his comics he usually tries to keep his identity a secret sometimes um he's kind of cool and i think there's something to him but i don't know if we ever really get much of that he's never really given the chance um how did you feel about the character just in general here have you ever heard of him before no never heard of him. i did not realize that this had a connection to hank pym and the whole pym particles right i mean anybody that's that's growing (laughs) They got connection to the pin particles. Um, yeah, it was kind of a uh, totally no concept, no no prior experience. Never even heard of him. So this was totally a, a fresh throw me off the you know into the deep end here. But you know, I think it was a, an interesting story. Um, you know, it, we got our Claremont, you know, heady kind of concept of you know we're right, right, and, and I do want to say like it's a very weird series because it's only five issues. Uh, I think it was supposed to run longer, but they just stopped it. And like the first issue of this is written by Tony Isabella again because I guess he was just the black writer, even though he was a big fat Italian white man. Um, I think he's Italian. Don't hold that against me. Um, 
but he leaves after issue one and then Claremont takes over. And, you know, this, like you're saying, this turns into the packed, heady, very, you know, emotionally dramatic uh, Chris Claremont comic. Um, but I, I do think it's kind of interesting that Chris Claremont was writing Black Goliath back then. Um, like, what was this? This would have been. Let me see what the app says here. 76. Okay. So, yeah, you know, it still would have been early on for his X-Men stuff. But, like, he would have just been, you know, starting to take off with that. Um, Claremont did a lot of random books around the Marvel Universe where he sort of. um tried to piece them all together eventually he does a little bit previously in the series but like there's not much in this issue um this issue i'm really trying to spot like keith pollard the artist a black creator that again is one of those creators that i feel like a lot of people don't know is a black uh man and he is another one of those you know bronze age marvel mainstays he had a run with Marv Wolfman on Amazing Spider-Man. He's didn't co-create Black Cat. Uh, Dave Cockrum helped do the design for Black Cat, but Keith Pollard did the first ever story she was in. So in a way, I pretty much say that Keith Pollard co-created Black Cat. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a pretty chunky run on Thor where he did like the Eternal Saga, which is a pretty famous one um, with that. And he did a ton of of Thor stuff at that time. Um, and you can see him all over Marvel in the late seventies, in the eighties, all the way to the nineties, actually. Um, and he ended up doing the official handbook of the Marvel universe for the nineties, which were like these card things almost. Um, but he did a turnaround where it's like three different drawings of characters for like every fucking character in the Marvel universe back then. So like, if you've ever seen that artwork listeners, like Keith Pollard is the one that did that. Um, he did a bunch of random spot work. He like in the nineties, he did some X factor. He did some Spider-Man Thunderstrike, Spider-Man 2099, all types of random stuff like that. Um, he had a chunky run on the fantastic four as well. Uh, basically he's just like, you know how we were talking about, uh, Ron Wilson, uh, where, they're not talked about enough, but they did random shit like that in the bronze age of Marvel. Um, again, not an artist where his shit is going to jump out to you and you can instantly recognize it. You know, how did you feel about his artwork? No, I thought that this was again, another, like just like felt like really strong house, but like much more like, uh, with some better, like stronger Kirby vibes in here. Um, yeah. yeah. Issue, and I don't know if that's just like the thing with Marvel when they do space shit that like, we're going to draw it like, Kirby with the you know the machines and the technology pieces of it um yeah I think like pretty much anyone that comes after Kirby is just influenced by Kirby but I thought it was I thought um the art really was uh, was solid um you know it was it was visually you know appealing to look at I didn't think it yeah it's it's good like looking at stuff and thinking like oh god like this this is terrible no I, no I I really like his art I think it has a very distinct style in the way where it's like chunky and smooth if that makes any sense Uh, i see what you mean yeah like where if you did see his artwork there's there's a real like thick line to it almost and like you could say that about the anchor but um that's how his artwork is throughout his whole career so it's 
it's pretty solid here. Um, we this is an entire one and done story of <laughs> Bill Foster, his girlfriend Celia at the time, and her nephew, who was in a fight happening with the stilt man from the previous issue, who took out a laser gun, shot them with it, and they ended up. <laughs> going to another planet it's weird it's fucking weird man uh how did you feel about this whole issue get run me through what you thought about bill foster about all this shit well um i didn't get the the pin particle stuff because that was like oh we're in outer space like he got teleported across and this is a whole um story about you know a man finding you know this this stranger on a distant world and understanding you know i want to attack them right away but then they realize they're not enemies and they want to help each other but then being afraid the whole time that like are there ulterior motives at play and then i have this whole unease with this character that they meet on the distant planet Right, they meet an alien that's like a physicist explorer that is there to supposedly help them as they wake up you know yeah, and like they, the way that he's drawn, they keep giving him like these looks where it's like he's saying like, "Oh, I'm a friend. I was only." He looks ghastly. Yeah, like <laughs> I was only touching your heads while you slept so I could learn your language. Um, but like the way he's drawn, you're like, "Am I supposed to not trust him right now?" So, right. Like, it's right. that whole unease, and maybe that's the point because they're like the whole concept of like, um, you know, making judgment calls on the way people oh, look for sure think that think that's what claremont is doing yeah it's a very heavy-handed analogy for like making judgments based off of appearances oh yeah it's it's what claremont does constantly throughout his career but you know i thought i thought it was actually a pretty successful story and um you know once i got to the end of it and i kind of felt like it was a weird ending and like you're telling me that this this series ended. This is where it ends. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that makes no sense to me. Like I don't know what could have come before this that like this wraps it up from like a, like a concept themes like what they're trying to say because this is like it ends with such a gloomy. All right, we're in this ancient place with ancient technology that still is amazing and works. Um, somehow, what's his name? Death Ray. Durath, Durath, sorry, Durath. Durath, yeah. Um, he knows how to work at all. Right. They make these comments of like, he's the one. Black, like when he talks, like when he's like scans Black Goliath's face and he's like, he's the one. He could be the key to it all. And it's like, what the fuck's going on? And they never come back to it. <laughs> um, like th- knowing that, like you telling me now that this is the end of it, like it pisses me off because like. Oh, it pisses me off too. <laughs> you know, there's so many things in here where it's like, oh, they're seeding like. And I wrote off like that. Ah, this is they must come back. This this is going to come later. Like, they- <laughs> nope. And nope. It ends somehow. They he has the tools to reverse, like create the opposite reaction to send uh, Goliath and his lady and their nephew home. And that's how it ends. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah, we get a fight uh, with some robot. Oh, they go. Yes, they're on this planet. And this like Darath guy is like, I'm a scientist, too. Perhaps the two of us can put our heads together and figure out a way to get home. And they go into this place and there's like there's an urban legend about a protector. He doesn't exist, uh, but he does. And he's this big like barbarian robot. And the major crux of the story is that our helpful Durath saves Goliath and Celia because they snuck off to go fuck <laughs> and our 
helpful alien gets killed because they wanted to just mack in the back. Uh, how did you feel about that? It made no like it was it was crazy that that is like the crux of like the whole like moving the plot along, getting horny. Yeah, yeah. like Goliath and his gal go off to do it in space because it's like, hey, we're in space, baby. Like, let's get it on. What who? What else right. are we gonna have the opportunity? To do it in a underground ancient alien uh, pyramid, forget right. it. Like, I've right. been like they, they leave to go yeah. to go. They leave her nephew it. alone with the lizard alien they just met. Right, right, and and they don't even like say like stay here. Yeah. They just leave, and then they're both like, "Where'd they go?" <laughs> I almost feel like the nephew makes a comment. Like, it makes it sound like they do this all the time. Like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do feel like he is saying, like, oh, yeah, they're they're a randy couple. It's it's very funny. Um, yeah, he thing- and Aunt Celia went for a stroll off that way. In other words, they, were, they wanted some time to themselves. And it's like. <laughs> it is. It, it is so. Fucking in front of your nephew, like, often? Like, yeah, the thing? It is. It is fucked up. And it. It's crazy to me that, like, that's what the story is. Like, they find this guy. He's super helpful. They're going to get home, you know, even though they look so different and crazy. They start getting together. And and then it ends because they wanted to go fuck in the corner. And this poor alien who was just, you know, hanging out saves them. And then that's that. He gets fucking axed in the back by this alien. And, and that's it. Goliath might as well have just thrown that axe in his back. Like, he should, he should have, man. For real. Yeah, I hated it. Like, that, that part of it was like, dude, these people suck. Like, yeah, you really do uh, feel pretty mad at them. Like that, they needed to go. I mean, I get recorded. it. You know, the moment strikes, the moment strikes. Right, of course, we all get it. It's just like, man, you didn't have to do this on this fucking planet. You know, <laughs> uh, fucked up. It it made me laugh to like sit back and relook at this before we started and be like, like, oh no, shit! Like that's what happens. Like they sneak off to go fuck, and this poor guy dies. Right, and then I then I was thinking like, okay, like then the second half of this whole book is going to be, you know, because it ends with him destroying the 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 giant guardian who turns out to be a robot, and then it's just like, god damn it, like you know, Darath or Pale got taken down by a fucking robot, like that sucks, and he like picks up his journal and then starts like journaling in durath's journal for him you know right so i'm thinking like oh now it's going to be the hero's quest to like return honor to you know his his friend that he just met and saved his life you know like he's got a life pack right got a life right that he needs to make sure that these his people you know hear the heroic deeds and you know they kind of end it with that like this is you know, Durath's log, uh, actually, my name's <laughs> Keith Jackson. Um, I got to go find, you know, re- I'm going to keep logging in here until I can find um, his people and let them know how he lived and how he died. Right. Um, I'd like, I'd like to think that Durath would like it like that. And it's like, okay, like now we've set up the back half. Nope. Mm-hmm. What the f- like what? Nope. Oh, that's where the series ends. 
Yeah. The funniest thing for me is is Keith, uh, the nephew, is like, I don't understand. He was my friend, a nice, gentle guy who never hurt anyone, and now he's dead. Why, Goliath? Tell me why. And Goliath says, I can't, Keith, because I don't really know. And it's like, motherfucker, you know it's because you had to go fuck. <laughs> oh. Unreal. It is. What else? What else did you think of this one? No, I mean, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. I, I thought it was kind of like a weird story that must have had more coming on after it. And it's uh, it never does. Afraid not. Afraid not. I do think that uh, it is a really solid um like Claremont story in a way where like, you know, you get his usual bullshit, but in like a sense of like, Oh, is this an okay story? Like it totally is, you mm-hmm. know? So where would you rank this bad boy? Oof. This one? I, I, I didn't, I didn't really love. Um, I agree with you. <laughs> did you honestly, like I want to like Foster, though. Like, did you like this character at all? Or did do you, you even really get to know boring? him? Like, he's just, you don't really, you don't, you really. don't get to know him. He's just a dude that wants to fuck and he puts people at risk. You know, I do appreciate that. His gut reaction was to not, um, beat the, like he wanted to beat the crap out of Darath when he met him, but like, right. didn't, there was that moment of like, okay, like, okay, he's a pragmatic dude. He is a hero. Um, it's not the typical Marvel. We're two heroes, but we don't know each other, so we're gonna beat the crap out of each other, and then we're gonna realize we're actually friends. Thing like they didn't go that route, which was nice. Um, right. But I really felt like I didn't get to know Black Goliath as a character. Is what he does, where he goes, you know, his whole shtick. Um, and then it's just like a bullshit kind of downer ending. So I have this one as a nineteen. Oh, pretty low for you. Yeah, I thought this, um, this was my least favorite of the day's books. Really? Oh, okay. I gave this one a 25 um, because I feel like even if it's not anything amazing or exciting, like Claremont still tells a good story and Pollard still draws pretty solid mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but that's why I picked 25. You know, it's like a perfect, like, sure is all right, I guess. <laughs> like middle of the road story for me. So you said 19? Yeah. Gotcha. So that gives it a 44. So that goes two points above Power Man 21. Is that tie with anything? No. But very close to the end of the list. 138 out of 141. But I expected it with some of these picks, Danny. (laughs) I certainly did. I knew some of these were not going to be big, huge favorites. But I wanted to introduce you to the characters as well as these uh, creators and really try to spotlight them and tell people like nah, like these people matter and they were pretty fucking good. Check out their stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's it. That's all of our picks for for uh, this week's episode. Uh, as always, uh, you can find us at comfortfoodcomics.com. Plenty of great articles. Always check out our master rank list. Um, you can find the site at CFC site on Twitter. You can find me personally at Dave Shevlin on Twitter. Danny, where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at the underscore Danny Mo. And then you can also follow Comfort Food Comics on Instagram as well. Search us there. 
Good shit. Good shit. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>